0: I have the Bible. Fine. First Thessalonians chapter two. First Thessalonians chapter two. Let's start in verse one. 1 Thessalonians chapter two. Verse one. Earlier this year, my wife and I went to Honduras, and we had a, lots of experiences there. Sarah was on a medical team. Uh, that was there helping uh, give medical treatment and uh, prescription. We brought American uh, medications with us, and uh, so she was on that team, and I was on the construction team, and uh, wood in Honduras is different than, than wood here, and what I mean by that is it's hard to get. You, you know, wood is pretty readily available here in Honduras. It's very protected, and so to get wood is, is hard, and then when you do get it, it's not clean. You know, it's it's not a two-by-four like it is here. I mean, they, if they had a two-by-four, it would physically be two inches by four inches, and and then even that would be skewed and a little whompy because they're kind of hand-milled, and at least where we were. And so we had to be very cautious with this wood that we had. We were going to put a roof on a church. That's what we were doing during the day. We were sharing the gospel. Obviously, that's what missions is. We We want to go out and share the gospel. But physically, we were working, and we were putting a roof on this church. And when I say putting a roof on, I mean, like, a square rectangle structure, see the sky. There's nothing there, we're gonna build trusses and we can't mess the wood up because we have just enough to put the roof on. And so uh, we had these big beams and they were probably, I don't think I'd be exaggerating to say, they were probably like 21, 22 feet long and they were you know, two inches by 12 or 13 inches, uh, big, thick, heavy piece of wood and they were still wet. The wood was still wet and so it made it even extra heavy. And there's this guy named Jerry, and he's, some of you might know Jerry from Ballardsville. He's like, we used to call him MacGyver years ago, because he just like knows how to do everything. And so Jerry's there helping us, and, uh, and he helps us set up this jig on the ground. We take stakes, and we stake in the ground for a straight portion in the angle. That way, when we laid the boards on, we couldn't miscut. We could mark exactly from the jig what it should be. And so once we had those boards cut, we had to put them together. And in Honduras, you just make do with what's there. And so we found scrap wood and we would take it where the, where the peak would join or where the, the angles would join. We would take the scrap wood and we'd put a flat board on top. And Jerry said, you put 20 nails in, 10 nails on one side and 10 nails on the other side. And we do that in all the joints and we'll flip it over and we'll do it again on the other side. And so me and some of the other guys, we're just being goofy and we're seeing like who can put a nail in in one swing and, and so we, we put our 20 nails in and this one and he puts his 20 nails in this one and we look over at Jerry's and Jerry has marked out a grid on his board and he is taking his time and he, t- he told us too that we had to put the nails in at, at angles so be, it would act like teeth and, and to bite into that, into that wood so it wouldn't back back out. And so he's over there, and he's got his grid. He gets done, and he has this perfect five-by-four square marked out of nails. And one of the guys on the team, he said, Jerry, why in the world would you you take the time to do that? Does it really matter? And Jerry, without saying a word, he takes one more nail, and and he's good with a hammer. He just put him in one swipe. He just puts one more nail in, and he said, my father wouldn't like shoddy work. And he grabbed another nail, and he put another one in. And this is, what it, this is what he meant by that. He meant that this is the Lord's house and we ought to not rush through it. We ought to do a good job. And even when it came to putting in a single nail, he wanted to do a good job. And he did that with everything. Measuring everything, double-checking everything. He wanted to make sure he did a good job. And my point to saying that is this, that uh, sometimes we get in the mode of like going through the motions that we forget that we're supposed to do a quality job. That Our role as Christians, as we're going to see today, our role as Christians ought to be taken seriously. And when we take our role as Christians seriously, the Lord works in some mighty ways. Look, look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. Are you there? Amen. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, or a cloak of covetousness. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men either from you or from others when we might have made demands as apostles of christ let's go to the lord in prayer and ask him about his word heavenly father we turn to you we come to your throne room and we can enter boldly by the blood of your son jesus knowing and trusting that father you will hear our prayer and in this moment this is what we ask Would you please speak to us through your word? You've promised us that you would give us wisdom if we ask. We are asking for wisdom. Father, I'm asking for wisdom. Who are we to understand your word? The grass will wither, the flowers will fade, but your word will stand forever. God, we are finite and we need you to help us to understand. So we pray that we would not only understand your word, but Father, even more, that we would be able to leave this place today and apply it to our lives. Would you, oh God, show us how to do that? Would you open up your word to our hearts? Maybe I should say the other way, Father, would you open up our hearts to your word? And Father, I pray that we would not leave this place the same as we came in. But Father, wherever you want us to change for you, Father, we would. We love you. We are here to worship you and only you. May that happen in the preaching of your word as well. In the preaching of your word as well, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, look, verse one: For yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Just stop there for a moment and remember with me, because we like to go straight through. it. That makes the Bible make a whole lot more sense, doesn't it? When you when you read a whole book, the picture is different. It's not the same. Somebody said we're having a Wednesday night study, and our Wednesday night study is, is how to study the Bible. And somebody said very wisely to me this past week, they said when you have those like word of the day, word of the, you know, Bible verse, word of the day calendar type of things, that when you do that, you can almost take those like a horoscope. I thought what a, what a good point, you know, that we can take those almost like reading a, reading a fortune cookie. You know, you get, a little, you get a little verse and you get a little snippet and, and then you take it and say you're going to run with it for the day and you kind of miss the big picture of what God was actually saying. When you take the whole Bible and you read all the way through, when you take a book and read all the way through, it keeps you from, it's a protection from doing that because you see the whole picture. And so just real quick as a recap, you remember with me from chapter one, it took us two weeks to finish chapter one and remember where we started, Paul was talking to the church that he was only able to be there for, you say it, how long? Three weeks. And we know that from Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, in verse one, verses 1 through 10, what we found was that Paul had been in Thessalonica, the city of Thessalonica, for three weeks, that he had preached the gospel to them, and then he had to leave because the city ran him out. Now, the city ran him out because the city was changing. The city had had accepted Christ. There were people in the city, Greeks, many Greeks. The Bible says there was not a few of the, of the leading women and a whole lot of the Greeks. They, they had turned from idols to worship the living God. Their whole world, they said that, that there, it was like they had turned the world upside down. Those who had turned the world upside down had, had come here to Thessalonica as well. And so they ran Paul and Silas out of Thessalonica after just three weeks. And so Paul was writing to them. That's what we're reading. Paul was writing to Thessalonica to say, hey, I've heard of what's going on. After we left, we've heard... We wanted to know about you and we've heard that you all are doing well. Not only are you doing, you doing well, but you're doing so well that others are actually looking to you as an example. You all are doing great. That's what he says in, in chapter 1. He says, you all are, we've heard of, of, of what you're doing. We saw it for ourselves and we've heard of it after we've left. The church is continuing and that's a, he's commending them. He's saying they're doing a good job. But look at verse 1 of chapter 2 and look at this. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Do you see the change of subject there? If you're, st- if you're with us on Wednesday, on Wednesday nights, you should start to be able to see that. What's he doing? He went from talking about them, the church, and now he flipped it, and what's he talking about? Himself, when he came to them, right? Look at verse one. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you. See, the, the, the scene has changed now. He's still talking about when he visited Thessalonica, but now he's talking about from their perspective, he said, when we came to you, it was not in vain. And look at verse 2. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. You see it? If Stick with me. You'll get the picture here. If in Acts chapter 17, we see Paul going to Thessalonica, look at verse 2 again. But even after... After, you're sticking with the words, even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi. Where was Paul before he went to Thessalonica? Philippi. That's what it says in verse 2. And you can go ahead and start flipping there if you want. We'll read something from there in a moment. I don't have time to read you the whole chapter. It would just take too long. But turn back in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. And we'll read something from Acts chapter 16 in just a moment. Acts 17, he went to Thessalonica. But now in chapter 2, Paul brings something up. To the, to the church. As he's writing them a letter, he says, you all know that when I came to you, when, when we came to you, we did not come in vain. You know that we were spitefully treated. that we, it, it was not easy in Philippi. And yet we came to you. So here's what happened at Philippi. Paul went to this place called Philippi and he met uh, Lydia there and he met the women who were worshiping and he starts to establish the church there in Philippi. And One day it so happens that this girl who's possessed with a demon, and she's a slave girl and she's got a master, she starts following Paul around. And this is all in Acts chapter 16 if you want to read it later. We're not going to spend time reading it right now. I'm just going to abbreviate it for you. That girl keeps coming around behind them and she's taunting them. She's saying, look at these men of God that tell us about Jesus. And she's taunting, this little girl is taunting Paul. And this goes on for a couple of days and finally Paul turns around and he casts the demon out of her. He tells the demon to get out. In the name of Jesus, that demon's got to leave. And the demon left. And the slave master was so mad at Paul because he just lost his income. They were charged. This girl was full of demons. She was telling people prophecies. She was telling the future. And, and so they, they, the slave master was mad because he had cast the demon out of the girl. By the way, just a little parenthetical note. You say, Pastor, do you think that there's a thing called demon possession? Do you think that's real? Yeah. You know why? Because the Bible speaks of it. And I'm pretty sure I've met some. I'm not playing. Like, I know some of you all are thinking, like, I'm joking, but I'm not. There's no joke there. Like, I think I've met some. And so this girl who had a demon, the demons cast out of her, instead of anybody being happy that the demon had left the girl, instead of anybody saying, wow, the God of of this guy was so powerful that he could cast the demon out of the girl, no. The guy was so mad he rallied up a mob. He arrested Paul, had Paul and, and Silas arrested, and they took him before the magistrates. And that's where we're going to pick up. Read it with me. It's in Acts chapter 16 and look at verse 20. Do you have that, Acts 16 and 20? And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. And then the multitude rose up against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Check this out in verse 24. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. You've probably all heard that story from Paul because you know what happens next, right? They just took Paul. You understand, they took him before the magistrates. They tore the clothes off of Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas are now naked in front of a group of people, and they beat them with rods. When they were done beating them, they took him to the jailer and they said, put him into jail. And the jailer took that further and said, I won't just put him in jail. In verse 24, he took him to the inner prison. That's the dungeon. He took him to the part where there's no windows and no bathroom and no visitors. And he put him in the stocks naked in the dungeon. And you remember how that story went, don't you? That Paul and Silas began to sing that night and the chains fell off and the doors of the prison opened. And remember that jailer was going to kill himself? But Paul said, don't harm yourself from the inner part of the prison all down there in the dark. He said, don't harm yourself. We're all here. We're all accounted for. And so the jailer sent for a light and sent for Paul. They went down and pulled Paul out. And what did that jailer say? I want you to, by the way, I want you to really picture that for a moment. Be careful how much you picture here. But understand, here's naked, beat up Paul who'd just been in the stocks all night. And what's the first words that the jailer says? What must I do to be saved? And remember what Paul told him Paul right there the guy that just beat him the guy that just put him in prison Paul shared the gospel with him told him about the forgiveness of Jesus and that very night that man was saved his family was saved and Paul after they cleaned up his after they cleaned up Paul's wounds Paul took him and baptized him now if you finish the story they wanted to they being the Romans and the the Jews of that area they wanted to send Paul away because Paul was a Roman and they just beat him without a trial I love what Paul did next. Paul's a bold guy. I want to be bold like Paul. Paul looked at him and said, no, no, no. You beat us publicly. You're not going to send us away in secret. Come get us. (laughs) He said, you're going to come get us and escort us out. And that's what they did. And that's what happened in Acts chapter 16. Now, here's my point. Understand, that's Acts 16. Now, let's get the full picture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that are coming to you. Where'd they come from? Philippi. We all have the answer now. Let's do it together so we don't go to sleep. Where'd they come from? Philippi, they all came from Philippi. You know our coming to you, coming from Philippi, was not in vain. But after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. I want to tell you two things. Both of these are very applicable to your life. You ready? Number one, you do not get to stop serving the Lord just because you did something good. Sometimes as Christians, we do something good and then we begin to feel like, oh, I've done my good. I taught the class, I led the group, I went on a mission trip, and we begin to feel accomplished. You say, I don't know anybody that feels like that. Okay, I'll give you some stories. One man I was working with, I was working in a restaurant, he was older, I was probably 18 or 19 years old, and this man was in his 40s, and... Uh, the reason this came about was because I'd asked for a scholarship and they denied me because the scholarship at the restaurant I, I wanted to go to Boyce College, which was a, a Baptist college, and they said they didn't want to be affiliated with a religious group, so they wouldn't give me a they wouldn't give me a scholarship. But then they told me their their pass for that was, Did you know that so-and-so is actually a minister? I didn't. I'm still mad at you for not giving me the scholarship, but cool, whatever. You know, it's to be expected. So I went and I did talk to this guy, and I, I said, so I hear you're a minister. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've done the ministry thing. I said, okay. He said, like, like, you're not currently? No, 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 no. This is what he did. He put his hands up and he goes, I did my time. What is this, military? Like, yeah, is this a prison sentence? What is this? I mean, is this like, you know, is this like, the, it's like joining the Marines? You know, like he, he did it, he accomplished it, whew, I'm out. I did my time. That's what he told me. I had an older woman one time, she was in the church, I wanted her to teach a Sunday school class. She said, oh, I couldn't teach a Sunday school class. I said, listen, you have wisdom that only comes with years. I'm asking you, would you teach a Sunday school class? And she said, oh, it's not that I don't think I could teach a Sunday school class. She said, I won't. I- I've already done that. So she told me, she said, I've already done that in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm past that. I've, I've already done that. That was in my past. I've, I've already done it. Are you ready? I don't care how old you are. I don't care if we're talking young. I don't care if we're talking old. I don't care if you've already served. I don't care if it's the first time you took a trip or the first time you taught. You don't get to quit just because you did something good. Paul could have said, well, we helped plant the church with Lydia. He could have even said, hey, even after being beaten, we shared the gospel with this guy and he accepted the Lord. I'm going to put a real big challenge to you. I'll do it again later too. When's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? He could have walked away saying, I did my time. In other words, what I'm saying is Paul could have went from Philippi, he could have went back to his home church, which was Antioch. He could have went back to Antioch and said, we did good in Philippi. We did real good, me and Silas both. We planted a church and we saw a guy saved. And It was, it was, a, it was a wonderful time in Philippi, but that's not what Paul did. What did Paul do? He went from Philippi to Thessalonica. And even after being beaten, stripped naked, and put down in a dungeon... I don't think we really understand what that would be like. If you, right, we don't really want to either. I'm, I'm with you. I don't exactly want to know what it would feel like, but I'm trying to say that I think sometimes we read those words and we glaze over those words, but if you really stop and think, he was beaten. I also love that story when he's like beaten and they think he's dead and they throw him out of the city and he gets up and like brushes it off and goes back in. I'm telling you, I want to be like Paul. Like, that's awesome. And so here's Paul, after he's beaten, stripped naked, humiliated, in pain he got up and went into Thessalonica. I want to give you a second point. First, you don't get to quit just because you did good. And number two, you don't get to quit just because it got hard. As a matter of fact, I want to take that further and tell you that actually when you're serving the Lord, things tend to get harder. It's just the way that it goes. When you're out serving the Lord and when you're putting yourself out there and you're saying, Lord, I'll follow you, I'll do whatever you tell me to do, It's normally not. Now, maybe you all have a different experience than me, but my experience has been whenever you put yourself out there and really try to serve the Lord, what actually happens is the opposite. It seems like everything starts crashing in around you. I'm just foolish enough to believe that the devil would love to get you to quit. I had somebody here recently, a minister told me, he said, I should stop saying that. We were having our spiritual warfare Bible study, and I had a minister tell me, he said, you should stop saying that. He said, you ought to recognize that we're not important enough You know, the devil, this is what he said, he said, the devil's not, he said, the devil's not omnipresent like the Lord. You know, he can't be everywhere at once. He said, so you got to stop telling people that, he said, we're not important enough for the the devil to come after. And you know what I told him? That's exactly what the devil would love for you to believe. The Bible says that our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. That's true. We are not fighting against flesh and blood, yet it feels like it. Earlier this year, Sarah and I were on another mission trip. We were in Lynch. Halfway through the week, and it was a fiasco at a moment, like Sarah and I's portion just like went, went from, hey, this is a great mission trip to fiasco. And we get a call like a text message middle of the week that my father-in-law was starting chemo, and so we're emotional about that, and, uh, and I was just itching to share the gospel with somebody, and somebody told me there were these boys playing basketball, so I went out to go play basketball with the boys. I was there for all of I don't know what, Jenny was there, probably a minute, maybe a minute and a half, and I rolled over my ankle, and my ankle swelled up the size of a softball. Everybody thought I broke it. They had their way. I to went to the hospital, but nah. Anyway, so so then I, I, now here I am on crutches, and it's on the fourth day, and I had the grand idea to let's take the mission team up to the top of the mountain and go to the lookout, and we'll have a worship service at the top of the lookout. And so that's what we were going to do that night. We were going to go have a worship service on top of the lookout on, on the mountain, and uh, and... We were just about there when the brakes in the car decided to totally give out, and uh, Sarah was driving because I've got my crutches in the car, and Sarah goes, I can't stop, I can't stop, I can't stop. She had to like swerve up beside him, and then they rolled their windows down and like looked out. Are you okay? And Sarah goes, we don't have brakes. We were at the top of the stupid mountain, we, <laughs> what are we going to do? Right, we were, we were close, we were like halfway. So then Tom says, well, if I have to put it in neutral on the way down, I, <laughs> we said, no, we just stop, we'll tow the stupid thing. And so we towed, the, we towed it back, and I'm telling you, by Friday, we're borrowing a car to get home. We're fighting with AAA to tow the car home. My ankles swelled up. We're worried about our father-in-law, our family member, and, and uh, it, it just felt like everything just crashed. And I'm telling you that to say, I got home, and, and I went to work, and my mom said, Well, I heard everything kind of went south on you. I said, Nah, I kind of think we must have been doing something right because Satan was getting at us hard. You, you understand what I'm trying to tell you there? You don't get to quit just because it gets hard. And now let's let's put your toes on. You ready? Let's talk about church for a moment. Cuz in our day and age, that's exactly what we do. All guilty. Right? It gets tough at church, and what does our culture do? Well, there's another church on the corner, go there. And I want to tell you something. I am a firm believer. I want you to Ask yourself, some of you don't know me very well, but for those of you who do, ask yourself, where are my parents? Why do my parents not, they, they go to church locally. Why didn't my parents come with us when we started a church here? Because they have a church home. My mom and dad came to me and they said, would you want us to come to church with you? And I asked him. I said, did the Lord, my dad's a deacon at his church. I said, did the Lord call you to be a deacon at, at LaGrange Heights? My dad said, well, I'm, I'm certain he did. And I said, well, then that call didn't change because I'm called to plant a church. You stay where you're supposed to serve. And you understand what I'm trying to tell you for a moment? I believe that we're called to serve. Wherever we're called to serve, that we're called to serve there. We're supposed to serve together. We're supposed to serve the Lord. We're supposed to go out for the gospel. That's what we're supposed to do. Wherever that is, if that's at Salt and Light, then you're called to work at Salt and Light. If you're called to work at another church, then work at that other church. And so if you're called to work somewhere, then guess what Satan would love to do? Get you to get mad and go somewhere else. We can't just get mad because it got hard. And you know what? The hardest part is this. This is what everyone always says to me. It doesn't matter what it is. The same comment always comes out. But pastor, you don't understand. They did. And I always say the same thing. You can't forgive people who didn't hurt you. Am I right about that? It sounds stupid when you say it. But there's never a point when we can forgive somebody that if they haven't hurt us first. Paul went out. They beat him. They put him in a jail. What did he do later that night? He shared the gospel with somebody. And did he quit? No. He went to the next city and he did it again. And then in Thessalonica, put that in perspective. He just got beat up one night, thrown in jail. A couple of days later, he's in Thessalonica. He was there for three weeks and then they've run him out of that city. His black eye was just starting to go down. And now now he's being ran out again. You don't get to quit just because it gets hard. And why don't you get to quit because it gets hard? I want you to see it. It's, we'll restart in verse 3. Pick up there in verse 3. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. Verse 4, but, remember that from Wednesday nights? That's a, that's a pretty important word. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. See what Paul just said? We came to you. This is what he said in verse 2, right? We came to you. It was was hard when we came to you. Did we stop because of what happened at Philippi? You know what happened at Philippi. Did we stop? No. We kept going. We came to you and we spoke the gospel boldly to you. Even though we just got beat for sharing the gospel there, now we're going to share the gospel boldly to you. Why? Verse 4. But as we've been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel. I think many times we forget the fact that God has entrusted us with His gospel. It will never work with me. You never get to put your hands up and say, Pastor, I'm, I'm not a minister. I had one guy one time, I called him a minister. I, he was like 18 years old, he was, he was a young guy. And uh, I, I used the word that he was a minister. I promise you, sitting across the table at a little diner there in, in Buckner, and he went, Ew. I said, Ew. He said, No, no, no. He said, I, I've not been to school. Don't call me a minister. I don't care if you've been to school. The Bible doesn't care if you've been to school. Nowhere in the scriptures has God told us that you have to go to school to minister the gospel. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you plainly that it is actually your responsibility to share the gospel. It is not just your pastor's responsibility. Listen, I love to share the gospel. And anybody who does share the gospel will tell the same thing to you that I'm about to tell you. Once you start sharing the gospel with people, there's nothing better. I love to share the gospel, but don't leave that all on me. I can only reach so many people. Could you imagine if we would all take seriously the role that we have? Could you imagine if all the Christians would take seriously? I think the Barna, the Barna study, the last time it came out, which I still think this is skewed, I think they've said that it's, it's like over 60% of Christians have not shared their faith in the past two years. Can you imagine that? Two ye- can you imagine going two years without sharing your faith with anybody? You know what I would dare to say? I know there's a wasp around here. He's getting them. There must be a nest or something. Pay attention to me. Stick with me for a moment. You got to stick with me. Listen, Paul took seriously the role that he had. And that's why when he got beaten one city, he immediately went to the next city. Because he recognized that his role was to, was to share the gospel. And so he wasn't going to stop because somebody tried to stop him. He wasn't going to stop because some city ran him out. He was going to keep going because he knew that God had entrusted him with the gospel. Do you remember uh, Jesus told the parable of the three different stewards? There was the master of the house and he was going to leave, but there were these stewards of the house and he gave one five talents and he gave the other two talents and then he gave the third one one talent. He said it was each man according to his own ability. And the man who had five talents, he went out and traded with them and he earned five more. And the man who had two talents, he took them and he went and invested those and, and built business with those and worked with those two talents and earned two more talents. But the guy who had just one talent, remember what he did? He went and buried it. And the master of the house came back and the man who had taken five talents and now had 10 talents he said well done good and faithful servant and the man who had two talents and now had four talents he said well done good and faithful servant but that one servant he came up and remember I tried to blame the master he said I knew you were a hard man I knew you were a hard man I I knew that you that you reap where you haven't sown So, so I took your I took your talent and I I buried it so here have what's yours do you remember what the master said you lazy and wicked servant. He told him, get out. He'd given him a talent, and what did he do with that talent? He buried it into the ground, and he might have tried to blame the master, but the master said, oh no, you're not going to pin this on me. I gave you that talent, and you know exactly what you were supposed to do with it. Now are you ready? How about us? The Lord has entrusted you with his gospel. Are you taking it out? or did you bury it? I had one fellow I was sitting at lunch with him one day and uh, I I don't know like I say this sometimes here but I never would say it to anybody privately or not often that I I just like discipleship. I don't like these discipleship programs. I think they're foolish. I'm sorry I don't mean that if you're like into discipleship programs but I mean like a workbook you know like get a workbook and like this is discipleship. I, I just think discipleship's a little more personal than that like Go out with people and meet with them and teach them how to make other disciples. That's the way the Bible says to do it. And So I'm sitting with this one guy and I'm really trying to disciple him. He's a young fella. And uh, there was another guy that was his friend. And so I'm talking to this guy about his friend. And I said, well, what I'd like to do is get your friend and the three of us could go together. And I'd like to go out. And they had another friend. I said, let's go over and go share the gospel with him. And this is what he told me. He said, oh, you don't want him. You don't want my friend. said you you don't want to take him with us did you know he's into and then he went on to list the things that his friend was into and I said um I said correct me if I'm wrong but you you shared the gospel with him didn't you and he said yes and I said didn't he receive the gospel didn't he didn't he receive Christ And he said yes I said didn't you baptize him and he had he said yes and I said So we can't can't do that. Like, we can't hold on to the past. He said, well, Justin, you need to understand, he's still struggling. And this is what I told him. I said, you need to understand, as Christians, we don't just shove him out the door and say, oh, well, he sinned again, so out you go. No, we want to encourage him to repent of his sins because he's a Christian and now he represents Christ. You understand, you don't get to say, I'm not going to do it. Justin, I'm not going to share the gospel because I, I'm not learned. Justin, I'm not going to share the gospel because who am I? I've done so much wrong. Quit doing wrong. You are a representative of Christ. You don't get to say, well, I'm not going to share the gospel because they'll look at me and say, well, haven't you been, haven't you done? Sure you haven't. You know what? You get to say them, and Christ still saved me, and he'll save you. You don't get out of it because, because you, don't, you don't feel like you're worthy. Friends, it's not, this is, nobody's worthy of the gospel. That's what makes it the good news. We're all a bunch of unworthy sinners that God sent his own son to die for. Now look with me. I've got to wrap it up. Look, verse 4, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. What have they been entrusted with? You say it starts with a G. They've been entrusted with the gospel. Turning your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter, 1 and verse, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 15 and verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1. Some of you are going to say, I know what this is. I don't care. Turn there anyways. It's good practice. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 1. Did you find it? All right, I'm going to stop, and when I stop, you have to pick up. Okay, so you're going to say one word. Ready? Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the the gospel. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and in which you stand. Skip down to verse 3 with me. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. What was it he received? He already said it in verse 1. The gospel. Here it is right here. I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received. That Christ died for your sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. What is the gospel? What is that thing that Paul said that he shared with the people of Thessalonica? What was it? Christ died for their sins, he was buried, and he rose again. That is the gospel. You say, Pastor, but what if I'm not good with words? You mean to tell me you can't get out three sentences? You can't share that Jesus died for your sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again? Pastor, is it that simple? You know what the Bible says? You know, what, you know what Paul said in Corinthians? He said that it pleased God to use the foolishness of the gospel. You know, that man's wisdom is foolishness to God, and it pleased God to keep it just this simple. Yeah, I, You don't have to turn to it, but Romans 1 and, and verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Did you hear that? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You don't need any special power. You don't need any special training. You have to have a willing heart to go out and share the gospel. It's interesting to me that what we think, we think that the person who's shouting the loudest and making the biggest scene, we think that those are the ones that are getting things done, but it's just not that way. There was a... There was a story. I don't know anything about ranching. I don't know anything about horses. I just read a story one time. In the, I was in an airport waiting on somebody else. And there was this, uh, I can't remember what the magazine was. But I just remember the story. And this rancher had told about when they had a really wild steed that they couldn't break. They would take it and they would tie it to a burrow. I didn't know what a burrow was, so I looked it up and it's a donkey, basically. So they would take the wild steed and they tie it to a donkey and they just send them out. And the steed gets even more mad because he's tied to the donkey and he is kicking and bucking and, and just thrashing that little donkey everywhere as he goes off over the hillside. And the rancher said in, in the story, the rancher said that and then a few days later, here would come back the beat up and bloodied donkey leading the steed and the steed would be trotting along behind him. Somewhere out across the, the pasture, the steed would wear out of steam And the donkey would lead him back home. And what I'm trying to tell you today is that it doesn't take you being wild or crazy or the loudest or the most obnoxious. You know who the Lord will use? The committed. I'm right about that. If you will commit yourself to the Lord and commit yourself to his work, he'll use you. If you would take that role seriously and if you would really think, I am a minister of the gospel, that changes the way I behave when I'm outside of church. If I thought to myself, I am a minister of the gospel, God has entrusted me with that, I would be more willing to tell those people that I need to tell. Because God has entrusted me with something so precious. The truth of His Son, Jesus, who died for our sins and rose again for us. And that is true for us as well. There's there's one more way to not take... Our role seriously. I want everybody to hear this as we close. It's those who hear the gospel and do absolutely nothing with it. I'm not talking about the believer. I'm talking about those who have heard the gospel. They could tell you about Jesus but they don't believe in Him. I want you all to hear me. Knowing the name of Christ will not save you. Believing in Jesus for your salvation will save you. Faith in Christ will save you. Knowing who he is, the devil knows who Jesus is. That won't do anything. But if you believe that he died for your sins and he rose again, then you'll be saved. And that's what I challenge you to do right now. If you've never trusted Christ, I want to challenge you right now to put your faith in him. Don't leave this place today without knowing. Don't turn off the video without knowing that you are saved by the blood of Jesus. All it takes is you to believe in him. He'll do all the rest. All the work is on him.